0: So, Hebrews chapter 1, let's read the first four
1: verses. Sami, can you help us? Okay. Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in this last day spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high having, been, having become so much better than angels as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than thee.
0: Okay. Thank you, Sami. So last week, we took a historical view at these first few verses, right? But I want us to take a more prophetic um, angle at it, because the writer of Hebrews is saying that God spoke at various times in the past, and he spoke in various ways. And we looked at the past, the historical perspective of that, And he spoke to the fathers by the prophets right so what that means is that what god was saying was prophetic it's necessary for us to understand that god is prophetic when god speaks he speaks prophetically and what it means when we say that god is prophetic is that god often declares the end of a thing before it happens that's one of the things that it means that um, god is prophetic that god foretells Right, So God comes and he proclaims a thing and says, this thing will happen. And that's how God works. And that's necessary for us to realize that many times God is going to come to you and he's going to speak about the future. But then the question is, why does he speak prophetically? Right, The reason is what Hebrews tells us, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. This is King James' language. But another translation says, he upholds all things by his powerful word. So the way God works in creation is that he speaks. And when God utters his voice, the voice of God travels with all of the energy of God, right? It travels with all of the reality of God. So that when God speaks, all of creation begins to align itself and begins to pursue that which God has uttered. And that's why God speaks prophetically. You can say that that is how God governs. He he doesn't govern by standing up from his chair and holding his rod and going from village to village trying to put things in order. No, he governs by decrees. And you see, that's why God does not talk a lot. (laughs) The first time that words were used in scripture, they were used for creation, right? Um, And that's how God speaks. He speaks to enact things on the earth. There are many things I want us to see there are many, many things which we're not going to even have time to cover in these first four verses, so we have to skip over some of them. But some of the very important ones to notice that the speakings of God right cannot be separated from the move of God from the work of God. So it means that if you want to understand the work of God in your life, you may need to first of all secure the speaking of God because many things around your life may not make sense, but if you can secure the voice of God the voice of God can give direction to your life I don't know if that makes sense to us the inverse of the case um, and the inverse of of that is also the case which is that even if you don't hear the, the voice of God right through the move of God through the activity of God in your life and in your space you can trace the voice of God in fact the first time the Bible tells us about the voice of God in Scripture in as it relates to humans, right, was in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. The quick context there is that Adam and Eve had sinned. And then the Bible says that they heard the voice of God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. <laughs> I mean, like, like the thing that you know about a voice is that a voice doesn't walk, right? So it means that Um, The voice of God was intertwined with the movements of the Spirit of God. So that if you can trace the activity of God, if you can trace the move of God, it can lead you into the voice of God. And also, if you can secure the voice of God, it can lead you into the move of God. The next thing to note when God speaks prophetically is that when God speaks prophetically, he's not really speaking to your ears. Right? Right? And in a sense, all of us humans have the ability to speak prophetically, right? If you're speaking to somebody that you love, you are not just concocting words that will make cognitive and intellectual sense to them, right? You're speaking to something beyond their mind. You're speaking into their heart, right? You're speaking into their spirit. When you say, I love you, for example, you're not asking the person to do a mathematical equation, even though, unfortunately, some people speak at that level. But the highest form of human communication is actually not even the cognitive one, right? Because if cognitive communication was the highest form of human communication, then people with disabilities would be absolutely incapable of operating in the world, right? But the the highest form of communication is spirit to spirit, is heart to heart. And in a sense, when God speaks prophetically, right, he's, he's not necessarily speaking to your ears, he's speaking to your heart. That's why the Bible says in in Revelation, after each prophetic word that Jesus had to the churches, said, he that has an ear, you know, you have ears, and so that's your physical ears. So if Jesus had said, he that has ears, you could conclude that he's referring to your physical ears. (laughs) But when he says, he that has an ear, he's already telling you that not everybody has it, which is a physical contradiction because everybody has physical ears. And he's telling you that even though some people have it, the ear is not calibrated, right? It means that God can be prophesying about your life, prophesying about your destiny, but you never hear it because the 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 faculty for hearing the prophetic utterance of God is not your physical ears; it's your heart. Your heart has an ear, <laughs> and that's why we often spend time in prayer. What we are necessarily doing is not that we are trying to create something that did not exist before so we are we are we are sweating and laboring to come into something and sit there not so much we are we are prayer primarily is a journey of alignment right we are we are joining in God's direction we are journeying to the place when where when God comes and drops his word the the <laughs> the ears of our hearts you know how the scripture talks about the eyes of your heart being enlightened There's also the ears of your heart. When God comes and drops a scripture, drops a word, drops a promise, we can capture it. Now, why I went this route to start with is because of what is before us, right? That if God wants to speak to us prophetically, it means that how much we can capture the message is going to be affected by the messenger that God sends. I think we touched on it last week, right? A little bit, I'm going to touch on it again, that if God wants to speak to us heart to heart, then he needs a messenger that can communicate heart to heart with us. And that is why the Bible says that at various times and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But you see, like we said last week, the prophets had a limitation which is that the prophets could only reveal a dimension of God's character. So some of the prophets saw his justice. And if you read their prophecies, it is all about the justice of God. Some of his other prophets like Hosea saw his mercy, right? And if you read his prophecies, it's all about the mercy of God. And the reason why none of them, (laughs) there are are many reasons, right? right? Why none of them could embody all of the virtues of God for one they were not God himself so they couldn't embody all of his virtues but the reason they couldn't embody all of his virtues is that God had appointed his son to be the heir of all things to be the one that inherits all the virtues of God so in the prophets the communication of God was limited also it also begs the question why does God need the prophets, which we have touched on already right is that You see, we are men. If God wants to communicate to to us heart to heart, sometimes the best tool for doing that is not words, actually. Words are just a channel for that communication, but they are not necessarily the best tools. That's why many people have been hearing and hearing the word of God and it has never transformed their lives, right? Because when God is really ready to speak to a man, knowing the makeup of man, the best tool that God uses to speak to him, especially when it cons- concerns prophetic things, when it concerns spiritual things, is an example. God needs the message to come alive so that the man can lay hold of it and desire it and run after it. That's why we said last week that the people who have influenced your life the most are not necessarily the ones who sat down and started telling you things. But most of them have influenced your life without even knowing about it. The people that you want to be like, the people that you aspire to be like, that is a a yearning in your heart that shows that the best way that you can become what God would have you become is when you see an example of it. Does that make sense to us? Have you noticed, for example, that we as humans, um, we appreciates music in a deep way music doesn't need to be cognitive for it to reach out to us another proof that the highest form of communication is not necessarily cognitive communication because if you have heard the music some of the pop music in nigeria for example it you know it 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 sometimes baffles the intellect and you ask yourself how is this music trending right <laughs> the words and sometimes the beats are an offense to any intellectual mind but yet it is it is blaring even in corporate office parties when they are ready to take off their ties and get into um, rest mode that's it were. But another thing you notice whenever it is that we see any creative thing that appeals to us like music sorry it, it, it appears that we're drifting but we're not we're, we're seeing on the same thing right god speaking Whenever it is that we see music that we appreciate, I don't know if it's just me, but have you noticed that what ends up happening is that you begin to go beyond the music and you start looking for the author of the music. And you start liking the author of the music. You start following the author of the music. You start reading the author of the music. Very have true. you noticed that? Very true. <laughs> it, yeah, you look be, for other... be... Sorry? Yeah, it's like you look for other materials, but it's the same person exactly and it's not only music right that is what leads us to have human idols in general that when you see an actor that performs wonderfully in the movie you it's not so much about the it, it stops being about the results it stops it starts being about the man or the woman because finally in a sense in quote god has now spoken to you as it were he has placed before you something that points to the reality but of course, the mistake we make is that we idolize people, right? And then when we eventually get to know them, we realize, ah, okay, maybe this guy has only one nice song, you know? And then <laughs> we get bored. Because we don't realize that the thing that we're yearning for is not a man. The thing that we're yearning for is the fullness of God himself. And that's why if, if, if you are a celebrity or you get to a place where people revere you and honor you, <laughs> the best thing you can do for yourself and for them is to point them to Jesus. Because whatever it is that attracted them to you, you are not the answer to it. You'll find that in yourself, you are insufficient. You are incapacitated to provide the answer. That's why, you know, in celebrity culture, people work so hard to put up a front. You know, they want to put up a certain image that I'm a humble person, even though (laughs) the person is not humble in real life, but just because, you know, the characters, the person acts in movies is humble. And that's how they got one million fans now they need to put up this front you cannot see them in public with a certain kind of clothes <laughs> you see all of that life is not necessary if you acknowledge that what these people are seeking is not in me they are yearning for something deeper so god made us for relationship with himself and we are never going to understand that reality until there is an example and that is why Like we said last week, whenever it is that God began to speak through the prophets, he didn't just speak through them. He he ensured that the prophets embodied the message. That was why he told Hosea, for example, to go marry a prostitute and to persevere with her. He wanted Hosea to be a picture of that. And so that eventually people could look beyond the prophets and look to God. Friends, God, God speaks on an energy level. The Bible says that he sustains all things by the word of his power that's how he is he speaks prophetically and i'm saying this for us to begin to lay hold of the different ways that god can speak to us prophetically even though we don't really have time right but one of them can be true music or art that god can put a song in your spirit that calls you into the deep and it's not and sometimes what we do is that we just allow our soul enjoy the thing and which is good but it is a call to see something, to hear something, to 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 lay hold of something, and that music only becomes a reality or a token, right, of the thing that God wants to, wants to say to us. Sometimes it's only through the lyrics of a music of a song, right, that God can teach you the truth you have been reading in John three sixteen for twenty years, right. So art is one way that God can summon us. Of course, if you have trained your spirit enough, then he can use actual words, right? So that when the words drop in your heart, you know that this is God. Jesus says in John chapter 3, 6 verse 63, that the words that I speak to you, that they are spirit and their life. Now, Jesus' words are not spirit and life to everybody. I hope you know that. <laughs> Some people, when Jesus is talking, they're like, this man is a madman. is the heart that is prepared the heart whose ears have been opened the heart that is burning for him when jesus says a it is like fire but the one that is lukewarm the one that is that is not calibrated if jesus says a b c d e f g cannot hear it the words i speak to you they are spirit and life and since we're in this brief prophetic school in the prophetic (laughs) There are words that Jesus speaks to you that are not necessarily a promise or they are not a command. What they are is an anchor. The reason God is telling you is not so that you can say amen. The reason God is telling you is that he wants you to remember it and to hold on to it and to use it as a compass to navigate. There are many times God will come to you like that. You know, sometimes when we read the scripture, especially in the prophetic sense, We are looking for scriptures that we can declare. Almost in the sense that we know that "Ah, if we just take it and declare it, we have done our part. Of course, there are scriptures like that. And there are times when God gives you those kind of utterances. But many times, friends, God will speak to you to give you an anchor. You know, he came to Abraham and he said to him, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. You know, you cannot confess that. (laughs) You cannot turn it into 30 days of confession for breakthrough, right? The reason why God was telling him that was that the man had just confronted five kings and one of them was a king of kings and he had, and he had liberated lots. The only thing waiting for him was a counter-attack, right? And then also the man didn't have a son and he was getting old. He was busy saving other people's sons. And God said to him, you know, you may be, you may be living in fear that the king of Sodom is going to come one day and overrun your family, or all of this, but I came to tell you something. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. So God can give you that word and the word is supposed to be an anchor. The Bible says that he sustains all things by the word of his power. Okay, we don't have time, so we need to stop that prophetic school, but I pray that you can, you 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 have gotten something from it. We need to wrap up these four verses, right? So that's what it means when he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke. Every time I read this verse, something new just drops. God spoke. Why was he speaking? What was he saying? What's the impact of his speech? But just know that God spoke. And if you put all things together, all things that we have said so far together, you can see why Jesus had to come, right? That... When, when, when God is really ready to speak to you and I, he needs an example. So the prophets were not enough. So he has spoken to us by the example of his son. We said last week that the whole point of Hebrews is, is keep your focus on Jesus. Just in case you lose track of him, your faith is bound to shipwreck. Because in Christ, God has summed up everything he's saying. Like I was sharing with Terence earlier that It is in Christ that the justice of God is is satisfied. It is in Christ that the love of God is released. And Christ can be our example. That's what Hebrews is going to build on subsequently. That Christ can be our example. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself had purged our sins And sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance received a better name than them. So, like we said, God sent his son to fully personify all his attributes. Right. That's what he means by he was the brightness of the glory of God. The express image, the exact image of God was of Christ john tells us that jesus was full of grace and truth so you see that love and justice dichotomy again he says of his fullness have we received grace for grace right that we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth he was a compendium of the virtues of god we don't have time to expand what grace and truth is right but when you you read that he was the brightness of the glory of god it means that he was full of grace and full of truth i encourage you to study it what is what it means <laughs> that he was full of grace and he was also full of truth and so god the reason why god is speaking through jesus is because his goal is that you and i can become mini jesus right if not he wouldn't need to change the messenger. And that's what he's going to do. The writer of Hebrews is going to show subsequently that he was going to show us that even the angels were not sufficient to transfer the message because the the best the angels could do was to say the message, they could not exemplify it. So the reason God sent Jesus is that he was, he's showing us that, Golda, look at Jesus. That is your destiny. That's the hallmark of your possibility. Right. Of course, there is a journey to becoming like Christ, a journey of sanctification, a journey of glorification, but it is, it is our inheritance to be like him. And that's why God is speaking through his son. That's why Hebrews is, is inviting us to pay attention to the son of God, to pay attention to what God is saying through his son. Okay. It took us a while to get through those four verses but I promise we're going to move faster after now because I think these four verses are quite pivotal to understanding the rest of it. But any thoughts on this? What did you find interesting
1: or any questions? In the area of the speaking, uh, that was new light, I think. It, it not, mm. like, you, like you said, it's, uh, uh, let me correct myself. It's not like new as per but is a fresh understanding yes new perspective of it really important
0: okay thank you so much okay so what the writer of hebrews is going to do now subsequently for the rest of the first for the rest of the book actually up until chapter 10 even is that the, the writer of hebrews is going to try to show us why christ is so much better right remember what he's trying to do in context is that he's trying to stop the drift. Many people are exchanging Christ for something lesser. And in the historical context, they were exchanging him for returning to Judaistic practices, which is why the book is filled with comparisons with Judaistic religious pillars. But in our time, we're exchanging Jesus for so many things. And it's, and it's trying to show them that whatever it is, you want to exchange Christ for. It's a mistake, it's not worth it. And the first comparison is the angels. So can you read from Sammy? We're going to read from verse 5 to verse 14. That's to take us to the end of chapter one.
1: Okay, from verse
0: 5.
1: But mm-hmm. to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. But when he began when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, "Let all the angels of God worship him." And of the angels he says, "Who makes his angels, spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? Or to the Son he says, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom." Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Verse 10, and you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 11. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation?
0: Okay, thank you so much, Sammy. You are informed today, right? You you are reading the scriptures like those Bible app (laughs) audio Audio readers. It's like somebody should record Sammy and upload it to, to Bible app okay so i have a question for us why does the author of the book of hebrews compare jesus to the angels because that's the first set of comparison that he does like we said he's going to compare christ to many things but the first is that he compares christ to the angels why why does he feel the need to compare christ to the angels i know that in our modern Times as Christians, we kind of understand that Christ is way superior to the angels, right? Like they're not even on the same level. Christ created the angels, as it were. So, why does he compare them? What do you think? I feel like if you want to compare to man, or do you want to compare with God, okay, okay. But you know, he does compare Christ. Eventually, he compares Christ to Moses to Aaron to Joshua, to Melchizedek, and those are men, right?
1: I'm trying.
0: Okay, Terence, and then Golda. I I feel like, I mean, we, then we esteem angels to be very powerful, and and people also used to, like, worship angels or something, especially when John saw an angel in Revelation and he bowed down to the Mm -hmm. angel. So, that was more like you know if you compare like angels like we seem to be very very powerful so yeah wow exactly bible scholar terrence Hmm? golda do you have something to add to that no i i concur with what he said yeah which is why even though last week to be honest may have been a bit boring for some people but i had to spend some time to do the historical background right because it's necessary when you face this questions to understand the, the background of the book the book is written to jews right and in jewish culture angels are highly revered they are not worshipped of course because only god is worshipped in jewish culture in judaism but angels are angels are highly revered and the reason they are highly revered is not far-fetched is because the jews believe that it was true angels that god communicated the lord to moses so when you read in your old testament that god spoke to moses face to face for example or that he gave him the law that's not how the jews understand it the understanding that he did all of that through angels because of course if 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 if, if um, moses had actually seen god as it were he wouldn't have been alive right um all the um theophanies, as it were of the old testament were communicated through angels even jesus is, is typified as the angel of his presence. When, when it was that God appeared to Joshua, right, on the eve of their battle against Jericho, Jesus came in the form of an angel, right? So angels have, have a, a very high ranking in the Jewish view of things. And it's actually a biblical position. Let, let's just digress very quickly to look at Stephen's testimony right, about how the law was given in Acts chapter 7, verse 53. It says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels, and have not kept it. So even the New Testament preachers agree with the position that the law Was communicated through angels and that's why the jews held the law in very high regard paul himself mentions this in galatians chapter 3 as well just for context right galatians chapter 3 verse 19 what purpose then does the law serve it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels By the hand of the mediator so do you see that the people who are trying to go back to judaistic practices and the people to whom the book is originally written to and even us today as christians hold angels in very high regard and so because of that the writer of hebrews needs to show that god needed to send his son because the god sending angels to convey the message and there is a message right okay i've already hinted us at the message which is that we can become like christ but Saying it like that, you need the ears of your spirit to open for you to really hear what I'm saying. When I say that we can become like Christ, it is it is a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. Right. So he first of all mentions he begins to mention some of the limitations of angels. And the goal of the book of the writer of Hebrews is in no way to downgrade angels, like we're going to see in chapter two. Right. He's not in any way saying that the angels are inferior to men for example like we're going to see but he's trying to show you that when it comes to christ is a mismatch why he says for to which of the angels did he ever say to you are my son today i pick to you and again i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son now one more thing to note in the book of hebrews is that the writer of hebrews quotes a lot of new testament old testament verses Practically every time you see a quote in the book of Hebrews, he's quoting something in the Old Testament. So, what he's quoting here is Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, right? Why do the hidden rage and the people imagine a vain thing against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands from us and lose their courts? He that sits in the heavens will laugh and he will hold them in their reason. And God's solution is that he will set his king upon his holy hill. And then, in that conversation in Psalm chapter 2, God begins to speak to that king. And he says to him, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Right? That's Psalm 2, verse 8. And then the second part is, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. This is, I think, 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. The context is that David had been delivered from all his enemies. And then he said, I'm living in a great house, but God does not have a house. And then David says, I want to build a house for the Lord. And he called Nathan the prophet. And told him, "It's not good that I have a house and God doesn't have one, <laughs> right?" And then he said, "I want to build a house for God." And Nathan said, "Go and do what's in your heart." You know, Nathan was not a very complicated prophet. He didn't give him any special. He just said, "What's in your heart? Go and do it." But then, when Nathan went to bed, God accosted him and said, "David is not going to build a house for me. I will build a house for him." And by house, he meant a dynasty. So. That's when the covenant of David was established, that I'm going to set up your throne, and I'm going to set up someone to sit on your throne, and that I will be a father to him, and he shall be my son. Anyway, let's not, I just wanted to lay that background, because I find it interesting, and I hope you do too. But you can see the first weakness of the angels, right? Okay, let me ask us, what is it about the angels compared to the son that makes the son superior? Superior in the context of revealing God's message to us. Verse 5. Because I want us to see that a comparison is what's going on here, right? In all these father son things that we're reading about. Yeah.
1: What um, is it? First thing I observe there is worship, angels worshiping. Verse 6. But that's the second thing we're talking okay. about. Yeah. Verse five, right? He 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 declares him his son. Mm-hmm. He says, "I have begotten you." I think that's the thing that stands mm-hmm. out to say that begotten you. Yes. And to him, I will be a father. But he didn't say that the angels are not begotten. The son is begotten. Yes. So the point there is
0: that only Jesus knows the fatherhood of God. Right. The angels don't know that. And if you and I are going to relate to God, we must know his fatherhood. You know, before you know God as judge and as the one that will judge, and before you preach him as judge, if you are a man, you have to first know him as father. And no angel can bring you that revelation. An angel can say it with their mouth, right? (laughs) But they cannot make you see it. You know, when I preach to atheists and non-Christians, One of the the, the, the things I say to them, why I believe, because sometimes when there's no other argument, the final argument is, okay how do we know that Christianity is the one true religion, right? And I say to them, it's only in Christianity that God is revealed as Father. In every other religion, we know him as Judge You know, there's a sense of justice. We know him as love. There's a sense of love. But it's only in Christianity. And Christ is the only one in history that came and told us that the, that the creator of the universe is your father. And Jesus said that the only people who can know this thing are, are those to whom the son reveals it. So the son is the one in custody of this revelation, right? And that is why if I come and tell you that God is love, and this is my practical experience, It's very likely that you don't know what I'm talking about and you will never be able to come into it because, especially if in your experience, you never experienced fatherly love. Maybe all you experienced is fatherly judgment. Or all your experience is no father at all. It's very likely that you're going to struggle to understand what it means that God is love because you don't have an example you don't have a context for that kind of love. You don't have a reference for it. I was saying to my wife this evening, right, that if you go to China or North Korea and you tell them that there's hellfire, for example, do you realize that they won't struggle to believe you? Do you know why? <laughs> can you guess why? The reason they won't struggle to believe is that they can say, well, we're we're living in some kind of hell already, so it's not a surprise to us that something like that exists, and it's not a, a surprise to us that you know the one who is the king and the ruler would possibly cast people in there because that's not a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? That's not the seat in their everyday life. If you come to a Nigerian and you tell a Nigerian that God is a God of justice, it's not going to be. It's going to be difficult for the Nigerian to swallow it, right? Because our our environment is, is, is littered with injustice and you will need to preach that message with all your heart. And you need to really show that God cares about injustice for the average Nigerian to see that. It's, that God is righteous and is just because there are no examples. And the biggest thing that Jesus came to, I'm slowing down deliberately to make this point, because I don't have time to make it sufficiently to take us to the book of Matthew chapter six and show us the first four things that Jesus revealed about the father. But friends, if you're going to relate with God, if you're going to know God, you're going to first need to know him as father. Everything else you do without that revelation is empty religion that's going to lead you into a cycle of frustration. And so the angels, could not bring this message. Neither could the prophets because none of them could express the fatherly love of God. The way the son, the son son had experienced it and so he could pass it on. And the message of Hebrews is that we too, friends, you and I too, in our calling, in our destiny, we can pass on the love of God. We can pass it on because we have experienced it. His father, you see, I'm trying to beat this, this point so that we can get it, is that if, it, if, if it, Jesus is saying, if the scripture is saying that God is Father, right? Logically, means that he gave birth to you and I, right? Now, in any birth process, think of when a mother gives birth. So she conceives and she's pregnant for nine months. And in nine months, she's sharing the same food same life the same feelings if you like with the baby inside of her and then she goes through a painful process and she gives birth to that child that's what that whole process has created is a bond <laughs> It's a, it's an inseparable bond between mother and child it's a bond of affection it's a bond of love it, that's why it's a very it's a very painful thing you know to lose your mother at any age, because there there are no words that can describe what you lost. It's, it's, It's a bond and it's an affection that is formed. If it is true that God is Father and that He gave birth to you, it means that there's something inside of you that can never be satisfied by anything else but God. You know, it's possible that your goal can be to be famous, right? It's possible that your goal can be to be the the world-renowned musician or your goal can be to have so much money in this your current state where you don't have that your goal if jesus is not enough for you if you have not arrived at the place where you realize that the deepest longing of my soul is not for money or for food or for fame but it's for god that the longings for sex for marriage for money for food for fame all of those things are just miniature expressions of the true longing if you don't arrive at that point where you make that discovery and where you determine that okay now that I've discovered that God is my true hunger <laughs> my yearning will be after him my hunger will be after him if you don't arrive at that point when you eventually get the fame the success the marriage the everything you're looking for <laughs> you are going to be accosted by a strange emptiness a very strange emptiness because it's a kind of emptiness that will come from looking all around you and seeing everything that you have always wanted and yet there is no joy. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. There's something that went on between you and me. There's something that went on. I know that you may have lost the fire, you know, you stop praying, but... If you remember when you give your life to Christ, there was there was so much affection because I, I because I gave birth to you. I begot you. I gave birth to you. I begot you. Right? And only the Son could have revealed this dimension of God. Now we need to leave this verse and run. If not, we're not going to be able to make too much money tonight. Right? But maybe to pause and ask us, what do you think about this? Any thoughts, any questions?
1: Yeah, while you're speaking, I just remember the statement the Lord made when he said, no one comes to the Father. It's interesting how it's, it's um, explicit. It's not no one comes to God or no one comes to the King or it's no one comes to the Father. Except through me, and then while you are speaking, it just occurred to me. I'm just saying, no one comes to the father except through the son, and the whole lot of things just make sense, certainly, because he's the only one in all of existence Mm -hmm. who who has um, the soul. You know, I'm I think that statement there is said. Verse six, it says, but when he again brings the first born into the world. So Christ here is, is the firstborn. And meaning I'm now realizing suddenly that our firstborn there simply is, is saying that he is the first of all of creation. First in rank. To have that experience or to to claim mm. the yes, first in rank, to claim that sonship and uh, to taste of that fatherhood. That mm. no other creature has ever experienced. So, if anybody wants to experience that fatherhood, that, that person has to experience it through the first born, through the son. So, I'm, mm. yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's,
0: <laughs> it's amazing. You know, no matter how religiously pious you are, right? No matter how much how much of a religious legalist you are, or how much of a religious pluralist you are, you know, have you met some people before that when you ask them, okay, what do you believe? They tell you that they believe all things and everything, right? (laughs) That's a religious pluralist. No matter how much of a religious pluralist you are or a religious dogmatist, you believe that it's Islam and it's only Islam. If you don't know the Father, if you don't know the Father, there's going to be an emptiness in your soul. And it is only Jesus that can reveal the Father. If you don't know the Father, you're going to be like an orphan. And it is only Jesus that reveals the Father. It is possible that you are in Christ, but you don't know the Father. You know, Jesus said to disciples in John chapter 14, I think verse 20 said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And when we looked at the gift of the Holy Spirit, we said it is significant that the first thing Jesus called the Holy Spirit was a comforter. You know that to us, when we think about Holy Spirit, we think about power, about fire, (laughs) about purity and we're very correct in those three things but the first thing jesus called the holy spirit was a comforter meaning that jesus 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 thinks that you need a comforter is you're the one who doesn't know or you're the one who doesn't realize that there's comfort in god and it, and it is it is okay that we don't realize that right because the way god spoke in the old testament when you read some prophets like amos you're like all this justice and bloodshed how can i come close that's why none of the prophets in all their speakings was able to capture the full measure and so god sent his son (laughs) so next time when a muslim confronts you and said how can god have a son who did he have sex with to have a son tell him that you, you need to experience what it means to be begotten. you need a father okay now it's very clear to me that we may need to stop at chapter one but that's okay for tonight but let's try to at least finish it, okay? But when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, to he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now, what, he, what he's trying to say here is that the son is equal to God. If not, the angels will not worship him, right? Again, remember that he's quoting an Old Testament scripture here. And um, he's showing us the congruence, like we mentioned last week, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the idea of the Trinity, which is one of the things that Muslims and most other people reject as irrational or non-cognitive, the idea of the Trinity did not just appear in the New Testament. that has been, God had started revealing it in types and shadows in the old. says so like all the angels worship of God, worship him, so that the Son of God is equal to God. And the way to know that is that he receives worship. So you may ask me okay how did you know that the angel that appeared to joshua remember the angel that appeared to him and joshua asked him are you false or against us and he says nay <laughs> how did you know that he's, he's, he's jesus because when joshua realized who he was the bible says that he worshipped him and you know men are not allowed to worship angels especially in jewish culture they only worship god and the person he worshipped did not rebuke him you know Terence mentioned the angel in the book of Revelation that told John, do not worship me. You know, I'm I'm, I'm one of you. But the angel that Joshua met, accepted worship. He he referred himself as the captain of the Lord's host, right, that had come to execute judgment. So that's why he imputed that, that even though he's a son, the son does not mean that he does not have equality with God. In fact, the son means that he has equality with God. So this is the first thing that the angels... This is the, or these are the first and second things that they lack, right? First of all, um, they cannot express towards the fatherliness of God. And secondly, they, they don't have equality with God. So as much as you revere the word of angels, you need to keep in mind that they are only sent. They are not the final word. So that if God sends his son, you must by necessity elevate the speaking of his son over the speaking of any angel. That's why in the book of Galatians, Paul says that if we or an angel preach to you another gospel, except the one that has been preached, let the angel, the angel be anathema, be accursed. Right. Okay. Verse eight says, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God. So he calls the son, O God, is forever and ever. Right? A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You loved righteousness and hated lawlessness; therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. So this is building upon the point on verse six, right? That um, the Son has an equality with God that the angels do not have. One thing we skipped was what was the point in verse seven? He says, "And of the angels, he says." who makes his angels spirit, and his ministers a flame of fire. We're not going to develop this too much in this chapter because we're going to do this in chapter two next week. But he's trying to show you that fundamentally, angels are spirits, and they are ministers, they are meaning that they are servants, they are spirits and they are servants, they are spirits and they are servants. Man is not spirit, man has a spirit, but the essence of man is, is, is his entirety. There is a spirit component to man, but if that was all that there is to man, then it would have been possible for angels to, to be God's final word to man, right? But there is a corporal component to man, a physical component to man, so that angels are dissimilar to us. So it cannot be that angels can truly reflect the message that God has for us, only the Son can reflect that message right that's why he had to tell you that angels are spirits and they are ministers who take the form of flames of fire what he says further is beginning is is to emphasize the deity of the son of god right meaning that we're not only supposed to listen to him because he can reveal the fatherliness of god we're not only supposed to reveal and listen to him because is a man like us you know he took on human flesh so he's not a spirit you know a spirit cannot come and tell you how to live a spirit does not know your struggles spirits are harsh that's why in african culture you you see that the traditional spirits are are, like they don't think like humans right (laughs) you tell the spirit that you want to you want to i don't know prosper it tells you can sleep somewhere you know something that is that is obscene, that is dirty that is that 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 a noble person made in the image of God is never supposed to do that's what the, spirit, the spirits are not like men they cannot they have no counsel for men, but the son took on human form and therefore he has something to say to us. but not only that the son is God himself. and that's what the the, the right of Hebrews is establishing. you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, again, like I said, these are all Old Testament scriptures. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. For you are the same, and your years will not fail so there is there is an eternality to God that the angels do not have because they are in the created order, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying that the Son of God he was not only begotten but even before he was begotten he existed he was part of creation itself he 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 even though he is now the firstborn of creation, he predates creation so that he has available to him the power of an endless life. He has the very same life that God has. The the eternality that is in God is in the Son. And this is necessary because what God wants you and I to become is not like the angels. God wants you and I to become like the Son. Our destiny is to inherit the same life that the Son has and, and look at the virtues of the life. That the son has, you are the same, and your years will not fail. Wow. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Right? This is Psalm 110, very popular Psalm. The Lord, the Lord, that is God the Father, said to my Lord, that is God the Son, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I did not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who would inherit salvation. So we need to stop here. But you can see where he's bringing his point in chapter 1, to right, that there's an inheritance that God has for us. That inheritance is that you and I can become like God practically. And what that means is not that we'll become God. You can never be equal to God, but we'll become like him. That was his own desire. That he made us in his image and he made us in his likeness. The likeness part was not achieved before the fall happened. The only thing that was achieved was the image of God. The image of God simply means the thing that can contain God. Right? And... By virtue of this, our creation model, by by virtue of our ordination, we have an inheritance of salvation. What God was doing through the prophets was that he was trying to communicate to a fallen man the riches of of his covenant, the riches of his life, the riches of the plans that he has for you and I. But it was very clear that the message could not have been transferred directly because the prophets were were fallen men and could only advertise one virtue of God by time. The angels also could not bring us into the reality of what God was saying. They could only announce it. They could only be ministers sent to help us in spiritual warfare, sent to bring God's counsel to us, sent to strengthen us in times of sickness and weakness. But they cannot make us what God was talking about. That's why in the New Testament, you realize that God never asked angels to preach the gospel because Jesus said, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you will be witnesses. For you to preach the gospel, you need to be a witness. You need to have tasted the gospel. That's the only thing that qualifies you to preach it. You need to have been forgiven. The angels have not been forgiven before. The one time an angel sinned, it was judgment. And that's why when we go to chapter 2, you read some of them asking, what is man? What is man that, that, that when he sinned against you, instead of casting him down like you did to Lucifer, you spent everything to bring him back. So the angels cannot preach the gospel because they have not experienced it. That's why when the angel appeared to Cornelius, he said to him, you need to go and find Peter and tell him that he needs to preach the gospel to you. If the angel preaches the gospel to you, it will not bring you salvation. It will only be information into your head. Which is why, when the angel brought <laughs> good news to Zachariah, he said, "How will I know these things you are saying? <laughs> How will I know these things you are saying?" And Kai Gabriel said, "No, no, no. You need the only way you can know is that I need to show you power. That's the language they understand. Power. But when God wants to speak to you and I, He gives us examples." He gives us example, and the first thing he wanted, I just want us want to sink in our hearts, the first thing he wanted to speak to us about was his fatherliness, that I'm your father. And my question to us tonight is, have you, have you caught that revelation? Do you realize why the Son of God is precious? Do you realize why you need to focus on Jesus? You know, and forget all the, all the, you know, everything that we've put around religion and focus on Jesus. Only him can reveal God to you as father. And when you know God as father and you rejoice and you celebrate in God as father and you begin to engage what it means that God is your father, you will find the highest satisfaction that anyone can find on this side of eternity. And as though that is not good enough, the writer wants us to know that there's an inheritance. (laughs) there's an inheritance that awaits us the person that God brought the message through is not just a messenger it's an indication of what you and I can be that we are called to inherit glory and that's where we are
1: headed and that's our destiny okay